Come, linger, and join the conversation as we sit at the feet of Rabbi Jesus in the upper room. In this upper room conversation, Brian and Giles talk about the ordinary men that God chooses to do extraordinary things for the kingdom. Hello, Giles. Welcome back to the Upper Room Conversation to Aramos. I hope you guys enjoyed the the last uh, couple conversations about being in the wilderness. Uh, So you can now picture us sitting in the middle of the woods somewhere with a a generator going somewhere off in the distance recording this podcast. Yeah, you can picture that. (laughs) It's maybe been a little cold for that, but uh, certainly looking forward to uh, maybe when we can do our first uh, remote location in the wilderness podcast yeah that whole concept of the Aramos um, does definitely go to sleep for the winter time um, it can be really really difficult to get out and find a place to escape uh, so we you know we definitely look forward to the springtime coming through and we do hope that you guys uh, you know as we talked about that the last couple of weeks that you guys really started to think intentionally about what that Aramos place was going to look like for you. And uh, yeah, then as we go into the spring, maybe having a little bit of a plan about how you're going to start taking those days or taking that time to go spend that time to contemplate and be with God. Yeah. But in the meantime, we uh, we really thought we would spend some time. You've heard kind of littered throughout some previous podcasts about the discipleship stuff that we do. And we really wanted to start spending some time breaking down who it is that Jesus was looking for, uh, his methodology that he used in discipling and growing this early uh, group of believers uh, in his ministry. Because, I mean, if we're supposed to be modeling him, that's where we need to be. We need to be in Scripture. We need to be looking at him and really trying to identify um, what he did. And I think a lot of times, I know even for myself, it can seem overwhelming. Uh, who am I supposed to disciple? What does discipleship look like? And as Brian said, yeah, we're going to really be talking tonight about the who, uh, but hopefully as you guys continue to tune in to the podcast, you're going to be starting to figure out some of those other things too about how and when and what does disciple making and also training up others to disciple others look like. But the selection process, yeah, it's absolutely, it's a very big part of the beginning process because you are really asking that question to God about who, yeah. who, who am I supposed to disciple? Well, I think even too, as, as you were talking there, you know, maybe, maybe somebody's listening out, out there that you're not, you have not been actively discipled by someone. And these are going to be some great guidelines for you to examine your own heart. And am I this type of person? Uh, am I, am I, do I fit this mold of what Jesus was looking for? Or uh, are there some things that I need to change, you know, in order to get myself in the proper position? Let's start, um, you know, guys, we have been reading uh, Robert E. Coleman's Master Plan of Evangelism. It is going to be a a big part of, it is a big part of what we do, and uh, it's really helped us dig in and examine uh, Jesus. So I just want to start with a little bit of a quote from him, and I'm not going to read, I think... 
the big extended version. But, you know, Robert E. Coleman points out that by any standard of sophisticated culture, then and even today, this group of people, these group of disciples that Jesus chose, would be considered a rather ragged collection of souls. You might look at them and you might wonder, how could Jesus ever use them? They were impulsive, temperamental, easily offended, had all the prejudices of their environment. In short, these men, selected by the Lord to be his assistant, represented an average cross-section of society of the day, and not the kind of group that one would expect to win the world for Christ. Yet, Jesus saw in these simple men, so there's a key word there, simple men, the potential of leadership for the kingdom. They were indeed unlearned and ignorant, according to the world's standards, but they were teachable, Though often mistaken in their judgments and slow to comprehend spiritual things, they were honest men, willing to confess their need. Their mannerisms may have been awkward and their abilities limited, but with the exception of the traitor, their hearts were big. What is perhaps the most significant about them was their sincere yearning for God and the realities of his life. These men were looking for someone to lead them in the way of salvation. Such men, pliable in the hands of the master, could be molded into a new image. Jesus can use anyone that wants to be used. What a great way to start. What a great foundation. Uh, Coleman really sums it up really well. And, yeah, anyone, uh, except for the things that basically, if you look at some of the opposite things about what he is saying here, one is he uses this word teachable, so... What about the unteachable person? You know, the hard-hearted person. And he uses the honest, but what about the spiritually dishonest person? Or the individual that is pretentious instead of humble? You know, you're you're seeing about the kind of people that he was looking for were ones that were going to be willing to receive the message. And as we see in the gospel as well, Jesus says he, you know, he came for the Sick, not for the healthy, although we know there's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek in that because we know no one was healthy. Right. <laughs> you know, all of us in our fallen nature are unhealthy, but it was really a way of saying to the uh, religious leaders of the day, you're not teachable. You're not somebody who's going to humble yourself and put yourself under the authority. And th- this is another word, guys, authority. You're not going to put yourself under the authority uh, of my teaching and so I'm going to have to have this group of guys, these people that are following me that are going to do those kind of things that are, that are actually the first thing that they're going to do is basically be teachable and be, be, be willing to sit under someone's teaching, be, right. be obedient and humble in that way. Yeah. You know, and even, uh, even Isaiah 53 too says that there was nothing in Jesus own appearance that was particularly desirable, I think is the word that the version we were looking at, that that would make anyone desire him. There wasn't anything overly charismatic or beautiful or outstanding with even Jesus and his appearance and his temperament and his personality. And so, you know, for him to then even choose 12, that would be, that were a lot like him in that way. That uh, and and I think even too we we have we have plenty of examples of both sides. Man, you use that word, you use that word authority and obedience, and those two things too critical, critical to teaching. And I, I was a teacher for fifteen years, and those things were critical. That and I and I I tell the story 
I, I say frequently, the two or three years that I sent, spent in the inner city in Indianapolis were some of the hard, they were some of the hardest teaching years that I ever had. However, once those students trusted me, they would absolutely do anything for me. And they didn't have the skills and abilities that they needed to, to excel. But man, when it came to their heart and their passion and their willingness to, to try for me, it was overwhelming. And it was some of the best teaching that I ever did was back then. And to think that Jesus took these 12 men that he picked, right? Ones that we would say, you know, didn't go to university system. And there was, there was like higher level education in that culture. So it's not like it wasn't available, uh, you know, but they had gone through maybe basic synagogue school, um, which was culturally maybe through eighth grade or ninth grade or whatever we would have, it wouldn't have been that they were not excelling because they were going into trades, Yeah, you know, uh, tax collector, fisherman, they really didn't fit the mold of people that would have been going on to be in the upper echelon in either uh, politics, religion, which were pretty joint at that time uh, in the Jewish culture, but they weren't those guys. So that he took those 12 people. What kind of great teacher was he that he was able to get those 12 and invest the time and effort and energy and that they were so teachable that they ended up spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth? I mean, that... You know, I'm thinking about you talking about being a teacher. You could say you could have a success success rate like that, working with the product that he was working with, right? right? I mean, these ordinary men, these were not, again, as we were saying, these were not spectacular in any sense of the uh, what the culture would have perceived them to be. And young. Honestly, they were young, too. Man, you, youth is a big part of it. And, and so there's something about that. Let's start out with that youth idea. And is it fair to say that the younger we are, we're more open and receptive to new and different things? Yeah, I think that we certainly can be rebellious, right? Um, and we may be growing into our identity, and um, we may have like a little bit of a streak there. But I think we also are people that have a lot more, when we're younger, we tend to have more hope, right? I mean, right. and in general... We even maybe see the world in a more positive than, say, some of our older pe- older people in our life. And so I think him looking for those young men, one and dynamic and sort of want to do adventurous stuff, exciting things, right? I mean, and they haven't been jaded as much. Yeah, I think we we found that verse uh, in Ecclesiastes twelve, verse one. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget about your creator. Honor him in your youth before you go old and say, life is not pleasant anymore. That's exactly what you just said. And here, scriptural evidence once again, that's exactly it. That there's something about there's something about the age. And not to be discouraging to our peers, you know, we're in our 40s and and we have plenty of older people that, um, you know, one in particular right now that is in discipleship with you, a couple others that are, you know, wanting to participate possibly in the board that are open to this. So it's, but it's really more of that youth-like heart and attitude towards things. Yeah. And uh, it is interesting, right? Because we can see it happening. <laughs> and I like how you said, we're, you know, we're not young. We love to think that we somehow are. <laughs> And I think it's also why we like to work with younger people because there's something like attractive about 
their enthusiasm and their dynamic and their zest for life. Um, but as I said, yeah, that Ecclesiastes, how true. I mean, that these men that were out there, they still were believing that life was, they had this hope in this future that life was going to be pleasant, even as they were working at the hard jobs that they were working at. They weren't thinking that this is the, you know, I'm, this is either at the point in my life where I'm coasting out or this is a point where I'm so overburdened by the responsibilities of the big families and all of these other things that I feel like I wouldn't have time or energy or effort. So that when Jesus walks along and says, hey, follow me, they're like, okay, I just imagine, right? I just imagine some of the fathers on the boats when they like got off. Because- I know. <laughs> I, I, that's exactly what I was thinking about was it wasn't like there wasn't risk involved. Uh, it wasn't like there wasn't social pressure even involved, and and it's not recorded, but you you can. I mean, the, the scriptures do say the word immediately that they left the boat, they left their they left their father immediately in the boat. But I can't. I mean, let's be realistic. I mean, there was probably at least a look that said, you know, I, I don't know that I'm going to get you know get another opportunity to do this. I don't know exactly how it all went down. But but definitely some risk involved, the adventure that you talked about, that definitely played into their willingness to left leaving the boat immediately means jumping in and swimming to shore. And again, ordinary men, right? So even livelihoods, um, they would not have been ones that even if they were working on these boats, it was to help to support the whole family, the larger family. And this is like, you know, I know we're spending a little bit of time on this, but I think there's such a foundational thing to understand, even about the selection process early on with Jesus. Culturally, culturally, the way that he went in and asked these men to walk away from their extended families, that was not culturally something that would have been like a norm or even accepted because there were a lot of responsibilities. This wasn't, we sometimes I think maybe get confused in our own culture when we look at these things because we're like, oh, well, you know, they, their parents were self-sufficient. They were doing things. But no, in this culture, if you were younger, you had an expectation to be helping support the family. You had your older parents who were supporting their parents. Everyone was living in these houses together, like multi-generational. So young, um, strong, Men walking away and going and do this, that would have been that would have been, I'm sure, a very big shock. But it did show something about how Jesus knew about the selection process. Like Right. You know, but there was also something too that, you know, in our culture today, this youth and this um sense of adventure can often come across in our culture today as some sort of an arrogance or bravado that is false and fake, that I can conquer anything, I can do anything, you know, just put me up to the task. But there's also this, this other element that, that Jesus knew about these guys, and that was that they were, he wanted them to be fully dependent on him. Mm-hmm. And these were not, these were not self-sufficient men and the way Coleman read it was said it was that you know that they knew their need. Yes, yes. God had planted a desire in their hearts for this call, um, and 
they were prepared in that way when Jesus came and called them, even if they didn't have all those other things in place. Either that or we have so many examples in the Gospels. Either that or they learned it very quickly. Yes. They learned it very quickly that you're out in the wilderness, there's nothing to eat, and all of a sudden I'm picking up 12 extra baskets of food after feeding you know 5,000 people. So they they did learn very quickly. Yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like there is something going on here. Uh, he's God and I'm not. Could you imagine them sitting around and saying, "Man, Jesus, could you have picked a baker, or could you have picked somebody that could have like helped <laughs> us like with some of these things?" Because you know, so much of the ministry, they're walking around on land and they're like. You got a bunch of fishermen. This is not really what we're good at. But again, that dependency on Jesus, because it's it's just a whole interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting when you think about it, because he, he didn't even pick people based that they had fit these right. specific needs for the ministry. So we're not even talking beyond really wasn't even the education. He didn't pick people just because it's like, well, this person can bring some of these resources to the ministry. This person can bring, bring some of these things. It was very, no, these are the people I'm selecting because these are the people that God has, you know, showed me to select. And then later on, we see him that he picks those 12 as his inner disciples. So that's another thing, right? I mean, let's let's sort of bring that to today, even when we're thinking about who do we select for doing life together. Do we look for people that fit specific needs or do we actually pray and discern and say, this person may not seem to fit any of the list of parameters, but it is certainly the person that God is telling me that I'm supposed to invite in. You know, one of the things that has played out in my life over the past few years and that I've said repeatedly is when... So, so let's not forget, too, that Jesus went up to the mountain to pray and then he came down full of the Holy Spirit and chose the twelve from right. among the group that like you know, so so there was this other part of it that that he was he was very intentional and prayerful about it and whatnot. But 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 here was here's the point I was trying to make for me. The deeper into relationship that I get with Jesus, and the closer he and I become, the less I have to depend upon other people for those things. And so what ends up happening is is that these young people, these young people that have that bring nothing that bring seemingly nothing to the table. You know, Brian, you know, you're you're 44 years old, why would you be wanting to hang out with these 20-somethings and whatnot? They you know, what are they but what what really ends up being the case is it's because they bring nothing to the table that it actually frees me up to be open and honest with them and to push them and to challenge them and to open their eyes to new ideas and new teachings. And it's, it's that type of perspective that there's no, there's fewer boundaries and there's fewer obstacles that I might have say with another 45 year old with three young kids. And you're saying, Dude, you gotta let it all go. You know, uh, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You're you're trying to teach a 45 year old these things, and they're thinking about their wife and three kids having no place to lay their head, and it doesn't go over very well. 
and that eternal selection process, right, versus that temporal one, which are based on very different things. And I love how you brought up even the people that we ha- seek um, that God has called us to disciple. And I just remember one of them saying, and you, I'm sure you remember it as well, when we were talking about things to lose. And he said, I'm 24. I don't have anything. Yep. What is there to lose? And that statement to me was so profound because it showed such a receptive heart to say, hey, this could all be gain for me. Like I don't, I don't, I don't have all those built up things. And Brian's right. It is hard when you get into some of those other conversations because we do build up all these things and we put all these things, which as you see with Jesus's selection process, multiple times we see situations where he calls people and one says, Hey, I got to go bury my father. And one says, Hey, you know, I can't give my wealth away to the poor. And another one says, I got to go and tend the field, harvest the crops. And we're like, wow, I don't, maybe I don't have to do a funeral or maybe I'm not having to harvest crops. But how many times do we make excuses because of all the other things filled up in our life that we can't spend time with Jesus? And when you get older, the older you get and the more perceived, perceived, there are real responsibilities, but perceived when we don't trust God with those things, the easier, the easier it is to make an excuse about why we can't spend time with him, why we can't spend time being discipled by the greatest disciple maker, Jesus. Yeah, and I was thinking about him being on the boat in the storm just after, so he's exhausted, he's tired, he's just had one of the mass feedings, and they're on the boat, and the storm comes up, and they're all panicking, right? And this is exactly what you're saying, is that is that, that 45-year-old, that that 45-year-old with a wife and three kids and a, and a mortgage, immediately is going to take a look around at the physical assessment of what's going around. And Jesus is constantly telling them, which means he's constantly telling me and us, I got, like, I have got this. I, I own it all. The fact that 5,000 people were hungry was not a concern. And I'm telling you right now that the fact that this storm is raging all around you is not a concern for me either. Peace, be still constantly teaching them to continue to to rely on him for everything everything doesn't mean that they weren't cared for doesn't mean that they weren't you know, I mean doesn't mean that they were going it doesn't mean that they were going hungry it meant they were provided for and taken care of if Jesus shows us anything it was like he probably was about getting the free meals right I mean going around. <laughs> You know, if he doesn't have a place to lay his own head, he had to be staying in other people's places, hospitality, you know, and appreciating those things. And he was provided for. Um, and he provided for those that he served, uh, who he was discipling. But, you know, it took a while um, because how rough these guys were. But there is a great verse in Acts that sort of shows Jesus was spot on with his selection process. So why don't you read a little bit or share a little bit about that from Acts 4? Yeah, so in Acts chapter 4, if you want to read the whole thing, it begins in verse 1, and it continues on to tell us in verse 8 that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then it 
it gets down to verse 13 and says, you know, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. But then there's more. It says, and they took note. Oh, these guys had been with Jesus. And they kind of put it away. And uh, this was... um, you know, Peter and John had been had been called in to be questioned. What are you guys doing? Why are you guys calling, causing such a ruckus? What's going on? And and God fulfills Jesus fills that fulfills that promise with them that says you know where he says you know you're gonna you're gonna be locked up and these are gonna be your opportunity to witness to these people. And Peter <laughs> Peter and John you know well okay here it is boom walking in the spirit and then sharing again, about who Jesus was. And these two uneducated men, understanding Scripture, understanding the power of the Holy Spirit, understanding things that these other people just had no comprehension of, and saying, where did, this, where, did, where did I learn these things? How did I learn these things? Oh, this was the stone. Jesus was the stone that the builders rejected. That all of you rejected. But this is how two ordinary men are standing in a room and you've been seeing miracles happen and you're hearing the truth in ways that you've never heard it before. Power, powerful, powerful stuff. And just seeing how that works just because of that early willingness, because of that teachability and that ability to sit under the teaching. And grow in and grow through those three years that they spent with Jesus on his ministry on earth, and then afterwards the commission that they're given. You know, and I really I can't help but think of that that Acts chapter four story. And fast forward to 2021 and really ask myself, do I still in, the, in my 44 years of life, have I seen that? Like, is that, is that the exception or the rule in the world that I've grown up in? What about you? <laughs> see, see, that sigh that you guys heard is, is that, is like, Giles, he, I just pushed one of his buttons, one of his hot buttons there. He's I mean, g- gathering up his yeah, thoughts. Yeah, and, you know... <laughs> This power of the Holy Spirit, this being with Jesus, I mean, as followers of Christ and as ones that are sitting under his teaching, being discipled by him, we as ordinary men should be seeing the same things. And if we're not, if you are not seeing signs and miracles, if you are not seeing God work in these kind of places, or even facing opposition for when you speak truth. And we're not saying speaking truth out of judgment or harshness, just just speaking truth because you know who your teacher is and you know the words that he's taught you and you know what he's saying to your heart and your trust in the Holy Spirit and the wind of the Spirit. But man, that's, I think we look at these things and we look at these stories and we're going to share some other things about ordinary men, ordinary men. And we look at these stories and we say, these are exceptional people. Well, Jesus himself says, these are ordinary people that God used. 
These are ordinary people. But what were they? So they were like David, right? Yeah, they were. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And David, what? A man after? God's own heart. Right? Right. They were like, they were, uh, they, you just see it constantly. You know, they were all the, they're like Paul. Now we may say Paul, well, he was this Pharisee. Okay. But let's think about Saul and then Paul. Paul is going into a community where he has been known to be a person that has persecuted them. That's right. So I would say he's even lower than ordinary. <laughs> right. I would say that it initially, we're talking about somebody who's reviled, yeah. right? looked down upon because of the way that he had persecuted people and then the, what, how God used him, right? I mean... Yeah. No, no, I mean, so, you know, so he's, he goes, he gets the instruction uh, and I forget the, I forget the, forget the guy's name, but the, the God gives the instruction. Hey, Paul's going to come. He's Uh-oh. blind. He's blind. And what does he say? He says, uh, you mean the guy that kills Christians? Yeah. No, thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. Which by the way, the scriptures are literally with thanks, but no thanks from, from, from us ordinary men. By the way, another ordinary man, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, so the convincing, you know, we, we read this por- story about, about Peter and John, and they took note that he'd been with Jesus. The convincing that Paul had to do to minister in the way that he did and to be accepted among believers and um, you know, among the believers of the time was pretty exceptional. Uh, that they had to see the change in him, which again, this confidence that we were seeing Peter and John, we had to see the the same change in him, and the same zeal for the kingdom. Yeah, and Paul would have been, you know, reviled on all sides, everywhere, right? Because he would have been reviled by the people that he had betrayed, the Jewish yeah. authorities that he had betrayed. So they would have constantly been like, "Man, this guy," and then the people he's trying to teach about God, they're going to have suspicions. But again, this whole thing about everything extraordinary that he did was because of the Holy Spirit. Paul himself says multiple times, I am nothing. I am nothing without God. And that was the same reason that Peter and that Peter, you know, that they had this confidence. Peter and John had this confidence when they're speaking in Acts. It's the same thing. It's like, where was that confidence from? It wasn't because that they were learned men or that they were the cream of the crop or the that they had political clout or that they were religious leaders. It's because they've been with Jesus. That was that was the only authority they needed. And that was the only thing that and that's how they spoke. Right. You know, with that authority. And we, we seem to treat these as exceptions. That somehow, well, that was the twelve that Jesus called, and and I'm I'm a part of the seventy two or whatever it might be. But really, the call the call to action is for all of us. It's for all of us to to be evaluate and you know to be evaluating with Jesus. Am I teachable? You know, Lord, am I am I teachable? Is there anything that you need to teach me today? And am I obedient? Is you know? Is there anything that you've been teaching me that I need to turn into action and move forward and do differently? And um, and and it's just a constant, a constant act of willful, like my will, 
of just a willful um, submission to to the kingdom and the authority of who Jesus is. Do we want to be teachable? Do we want to humble ourselves so that we can become ordinary men that God can use for extraordinary purposes? Because that's the story in Scripture over and over again. That is what we see happening. Ordinary people, and I'm saying men, but ordinary women. Right. Sometimes reviled people, right? I mean, seldom, seldom do we see somebody, well, let's take an example from Scripture, of somebody who had all of the great gifts and extraordinary abilities and all those things um, and fell, fell hard. Right. You know, if we if we go back to the first king. Yeah. King Saul. And, you know, and what's so interesting, too, is his fall could maybe even be when you look at it, what he actually did wasn't this egregious. It wasn't this egregious crime that he had committed against God. It was his action was actually symbolic of the turn and the change that had happened in his heart that he was going to be relying on his own story and writing his own story as opposed to being fully submissive to God from that, from that moment forward. Hmm. And then you see Jesus right at the, you know, when he's in that upper room with the disciples, gets down and shows them, here's what leadership is about. Here is what honoring me is about. Here's what obedience and teachability is about. I'm going to get down and I'm going to do what the lowliest servant does and I'm going to wash your feet. So, I mean, if that is not somebody saying, hey, I'm not just making myself ordinary in this situation. I am the king, but first of all, that's right. I'm the king. But I'm not only making myself ordinary. I'm putting myself lower. Lower than ordinary. Lower than ordinary. And then we see, I mean, obviously what came through him and what, gift he gave us because of his willingness to put himself into that position. And then we say, are we willing to do that? Right. Are we willing to put ourselves not only ordinary even, but like even below that? Are right. we willing to say that to serve others so that we can be like our king, like Jesus? I, you know, I'm currently leading my first real discipleship group. Uh, I think that there have been others that I have maybe mentored before in my life, but it hasn't been this specific and it hasn't been this directed at the kingdom. And I think that one of the things that I'm learning as I go through it is, is that I, first of all, I'm so in over my head, you know, like the script that Ezekiel 47 scripture that we keep going back to of the river. Like I'm, I'm in it's flood stage. I'm overwhelmed. I got nothing. And week after week after week after week, the Holy Spirit shows up and does its thing. And it is so empowering and it is so fun. I mean, you had your group this morning and it just leaves you just encouraged and fired up for the day because it's it's actually more fun to submit myself to him because he's able to do so much. Like, I just got to get out of the way. 
Uh, and I think, you know, and it's, and it's not just Jesus, guys, it's not, you know, it's not just Jesus and the New Testament, even though we have this picture of where he's specifically doing it, but it's littered throughout the Old Testament as well um, with, you know, guys like Moses. Yeah, Moses, you know, had a speech impediment, basically. You know, he, he wasn't eloquent, eloquent, just like me. <laughs> he wasn't eloquent. He wasn't able to uh, speak well at all. And then the thing is, God's telling him, go and do these speeches. Oh, and where? Oh, in front of the most powerful person in the yeah. world, Pharaoh. Uh, and, you, and you can imagine... Like, I'm starting to stutter just thinking about it, but you could imagine that the stress and the anxiety of what that would look like for this guy that's like, hey, that's not me. I'm pretty ordinary, and actually, I'm sort of substandard when it comes to what you're asking me to do. And, of course, you know, God comes beside him and helps him and brings along someone. But the reality is God would have, when you see the scenes, when you see the situations playing out in Exodus, I don't really ever see Aaron being there when Moses is talking to Pharaoh. Right. Now, isn't that that interesting? He basically says, I'm sending him with you for this purpose. Right. But most of the time, it's pretty much just Moses. At least that's what we see in Scripture. It's just Moses talking to Pharaoh. But I love, too, I love uh, Exodus 4, verse 11. And, you know, and, of course, I'll I'll even back up to verse 10. You know, Moses, uh, um... Pardon me, Lord. Um, excuse me, um, Father, King. You know, I'm just picturing him groveling, right? Like groveling and stuttering, right? Uh, are you you sure you got the right guy? You sure you got the right guy? <laughs> and I just love God's response to him in verse 11. Who gave human human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight and makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. And then I know your I know your brother Jeremiah right. said the exact same thing later on. So here's the thing. Let's 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 pop through some people real quick, right? Abraham. I'm too old. I can't be having no kids. Right. Now come on, man. Come on, God. Look at my wife. I ain't being mean, but she's like a hundred. Like, how's this gonna happen, right? And and then and then, you know. Uh, Isaiah. God, I have these terrible thoughts in my mind. I'm a terrible person, basically. And God's like, oh, let me put this coal on your mouth, and then I'm going to tell you that you're going to be serving me in this way. And then Jeremiah. I'm too young. I don't know what to do here. Every single one of these people, if not ordinary, even below that, and God's using them for all of his special purposes. Why? Why? Because of that ability to learn, be taught, the humble heart. So the same lessons that God is showing in the Old Testament, Jesus' selection process is based on the same kind of selection process. Same principle. Exact same principle as what he was teaching Moses there. Right. And so when Jesus is up on the mountain, right, and you were talking about him making that selection process, and he's been praying. (laughs) Right. And you are, know, you, are you sure? <laughs> and you and you just know that his dad is going, hey, look at this dude. Look at this dude. Oh, by the way, I gave Isaiah some words about how homely you look. 
I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Like, this is how this had to go down? You know, and so you think about all of that process of this just got, it just, you, you know, I think there's so many things that we got to have a sense of humor about in scripture, right? Because we take it sometimes way too, these things way too serious. But you know, if we have humor, right, and we're made in God's image, that he has humor, that he's pulling these things and saying, oh, yeah, I chose that dude. And, then, and Jesus is like, oh, I got to pick that guy. Jesus is like, dude, that God, that guy smells like fish. <laughs> he's like, dude, I'm a carpenter. I did not want to be around I know people. all these aromatic like. woods that I get to work with. And then, and then, you know, even some of their personalities. You see Jesus interacting with the disciples sometimes, and he's like, man, no, come on, man. That dude's always doubting what I'm saying, God. Right. Thomas? Really? Peter? Are you out of your mind? That guy is like, he always is saying, foot in the mouth. Yeah. And Jesus, but again, God's saying, Jesus saying, I know more, right? I know more about the selection process than what may be on your resume. Oh, I think, you know, I think it's easy to, to, to when we're talking about Jesus picking young people. And this whole process, it's, it's, it's so easy to go to King David and to really stop and think about that whole selection process that quite literally he was not the best looking in his family because Samuel was so impressed by his oldest brother. Um, he was, you know, he didn't have the major responsibilities of the family business. He was out tending to the sheep. And it, even the scriptures say he wasn't, there wasn't anything special about him. He was good looking. He wasn't even there and he because was he wasn't even considered to be even by his family part enough. of the selection process. Right. But, but, you know, again, we could go through it all, right? That you could go through all the Psalms and you could get all of David's heart for God and his humble heart and how he worked through these problems. He worked through these problems a lot like Moses I, I struggle with this. I'm. I have this fear. This is what's in front of me. But then he turns it around to. But you said you're God. You said I'm not. So I'm going to rely and I'm going to rest in that. And that. And that God says, you know, that that's that's what He desires in a heart, a man after God's own heart, and that that's what He He wants for that. But but even more so, you know, as we parallel it to. Peter and John and their courage in speaking before the courts. You know, when David goes out to meet the Philistine, you know, to meet Goliath, right? You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Like, is that not the exact same story of what's going on with Peter and John that everybody gets to witness? There is something different about this dude. What is it? And here he is, younger too small to fit in Saul's armor, and yet he's the one that charges out and has that that uh, that full dependence upon God in that moment. Full faith, full faith. And, yeah, what a great way to illustrate that verse. Um, and that's the heart, right? Matthew 18, Jesus says, you know, truly I tell you, unless you change and become... Like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I think we miss it. I think that, I think that I mean, he's talking about dependence there. He's talking about dependence there. And, and I, 
think I think the older I get, the deeper I get into this, the more I realize that, and the more I cling to that that childlike dependence on him for for my words, for my actions, for my for what I write, for what I text my my discipleship group midweek to check in on them, just to complete and utter reliance on him. And so we've been sharing a lot about a lot these young people, right? Um, but you know, Moses wasn't so young and there were other people that weren't so young. Uh, Abraham was obviously not young, but we look at the, what were they willing to do? Right. Because Abraham even is, they say, you know, it was his faith. Yep. But think about that. Um, and then we see Jesus says, you know, faith like a mustard seed is all it takes. And I want to share for all of you that feel maybe, you know, you've been hearing this and you're like, well, it can't be me. Like, I'm too far. Right. I'm too far. I'm already here. I already have all these responsibilities. I already have all these things. But this is where we talk about faith because it just has to be a mustard seed. And I saw this great definition of what faith is, okay? And so I want to share that with you guys because I think it really relates to this selection process as well. As you think about hey, could I be discipled or could I disciple someone else? Faith is belief, right? So belief is this, we have this knowledge and it's like the core of us. Um, Plus action. Plus this third thing, and we see this constantly playing out in these scriptures, which is confidence. Confidence, yeah. And, And not confidence in our own ability, but confidence in who God is. That's faith. So even the smallest step that you can take today, as Brian was saying, I become more and more dependent, but that's only because he's taken steps of faith. And it actually grows. And we'll tell you, well, it becomes that big bush, right? Th- right. The, the, the whole mustard seed thing, it doesn't become the huge tree overnight. No. It takes, it takes time, but it has its, its phases and, and its stages that it goes through as the roots develop deep as it sprouts above the ground and as it begins to grow into that great tree. So this teachability process, this humbling of ourselves, it's just that first step. And I just want to encourage all of you to take that step because if we want to be part of this selection process, if we say, hey, God, like Isaiah did, you know, well, then send me. And Jeremiah said it and Jesus said it. You know, if we, if we, if we say we want to go, and we want to be trained, and we want to live like Jesus, we have to have that, even if it's just that first step. And you may have grown up in the church your whole life, and you may say, hey, but I go and do these things, 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 but is your life full? Are you experiencing the fruits of the Spirit? Because that's what God desires for you. He has selected you. He made you in His image. We just have to say, hey, I'm willing to go and take those steps. I'm willing to be trained. I'm willing to be obedient. I'm willing to be humble. I'm willing to serve others. And I can do that by just taking this one step today. Right, Brian? And he says, and that's the whole thing, is follow me. Follow me is an, it's an active, it's an action. Act like, it's not, it's not just, it's not muster up what you have inside of you to act like me. It is follow me. It is putting him in front keeping my eyes focused on him and being willing to take that next step. And I think so many people, just as you were illustrating, I was thinking, you know, how many people 
they look at Jesus, they think they're following Jesus, but really what it is is Jesus is moving and I'm watching him. Mm. I'm watching, and watching is not the same as following. And, you know, we're supposed to, we're supposed to be following, we're supposed to be engaged in this discipleship prop, process, and if you guys are anything like me, I just came to a point in my life where I knew I had not been discipled, and I prayed to God that he would disciple me. And what's awesome is, is that that was, gosh, 11, 12 years ago. And how, so, so there's those individual steps, right? It's been 12 years leading up to that actually, you know, a person steps into my life and says, Hey, we're going to do this. And, and then I actually then begin to walk, I, I say yes once, and then I get to walk into those, those new steps of faith each time too. So Super exciting! It's um, it, it's it's very encouraging. I hope I hope all of you are encouraged. I hope that, you know, I I, uh, I kept joking with my discipleship group on Saturday uh, as we were on our video call. Um, I was pulling back my shirt like Clark Kent as they talked. I'm like, dude, you guys are doing it! Like you are becoming Superman, and and that inside of each of you listening, there is this Superman that is just waiting to get out if we would be teachable by him, if we would be fully dependent on him, and if we would be willing and have courage to, to walk in what he asks us to do. So Jesus was looking for those ordinary men. But he was planning in the eternal realm for them to be extraordinary kings. And that is his desire for you. And Brian was saying the Superman, it's really, can we step up? out of our fallen nature, lean into our redeemed nature of who God has called us, because there's nothing ordinary about that. That's right. And walk with that, even if it is that first small step. You maybe not be ready to fully dive in and disciple someone at this point, but take that first step of faith. Do what, do what Moses did, right? The road to Egypt took a step. You had to start somewhere, yeah. right? Do what the disciples did. Following Jesus started with that first step for all of us, even if we have grown up and we may say, hey, it's too late for me to be involved in that. I, I personally wish I had done this when I was younger and been here in this place at this point when I was younger. And I'm excited for those young people that we work with that are going to get that opportunity. But God was like, hey, it's not too late for you. And then he said the same to Brian. It's not too late for you. I have work for you to do. And I will bring you joy, and I will bring you peace, and I will bring you the most incredible things that you have ever seen. You will see what? Lightning falling from the sky. You will see demons being cast out. And that is what I pray and hope for all of you because that is where our heart is. So we may say things, and we may get a little fired up, and we may get worked up, and we may even speak out against things. But truly know it is because we love you so much that we want to see you walking out in that redeemed nature. Giles, that is a great word for closing. Super excited to see what God is going to be doing here at, in the Upper Room Conversation as well as in the lives of all of our listeners and all these folks that we're discipling.